0: Hi, I'm Tristan Collins. Today we get to talk about our emotions. We are going to focus on the emotional state called fear. Fear is not a pleasant emotion. Fear keeps us up at night. Fear prevents us from intimate relationships and accomplishing our dreams. Intense fear can completely immobilize us. And anxiety, a type of generalized persistent fear, is bad for our health. When fear rears its ugly head and gets in our way, we wonder, how do I get rid of all this fear and anxiety in my life? We can easily think, I shouldn't feel this way. Let me quote from a modern saint, Mr. Rogers. There's no should or should not when it comes to having feelings. They're a part of who we are and their origins are beyond our control. When we can believe that, You may find it easier to make constructive choices about what to do with those feelings. Mr. Rogers knows that all feelings are valuable and what we do with them is most important. God created us as emotional beings. We are not a soul trapped in a body. We are embodied creatures. God created us this way and said, it is very good. Scripture doesn't say that we're going to get rid of our body so we can live in heaven. The Apostle Paul talks about how God is going to recreate our bodies and create a new earth for us to live in. We don't just have a body, we are a body. God created us as emotional beings, and those emotions serve a purpose. Our bodies have a designed intelligence, and the way our bodies communicate to us is through the language of emotions. Here's a way that I like to think about it. Do you remember when you first learned how to drive a car? you started the engine, shifted the gear into drive and prayed you didn't hit anyone or anything. As your car drives you around, there are thousands of unseen parts that work together to make our car do what we command. Most of the time we're unaware of all these parts and it doesn't affect our driving, but there is certain information that is really important and the way we get this information is by looking at the dashboard on our car. Our dashboard tells us information about how much gas we have, how fast we are driving, and if our engine is going to overheat and die. With a glance, you can get an overview of the essential information that you need. In a similar way, our emotions are a dashboard for our whole body. Our bodies process millions of sensory information every second, but we're only aware of a tiny percentage. This is a great setup, because it frees us to do things like dream, create, learn and problem solve. But sometimes we need to become aware of what our bodies are perceiving. We need to look at the dashboard of our souls, our emotions. As complex as a car may be, our body is infinitely more complex. Emotions, like fear, give us valuable information about our body. And if we ignore this information, we are less informed about how to take care of our body. Paying attention to the sensations in our body, interpreting them, And making helpful decisions is a challenging process. It's a skill that needs to be taught and learned through practice. People who get good at this skill often reflect high emotional intelligence. We just talked about how emotions are signals on our dashboard. Now let's focus on what fear can signal to us. Simply put, fear is a signal that we might be in danger. One vacation, my husband and I rented an RV and we drove it down the coast This RV had a little monitor that lit up and made a sound every time you swerved outside your lane or when you got too close to a car in front of you. It was an annoying beeping sound. Sometimes the sound was unnecessary, like when my husband hugged one side of the road to give another vehicle space, but other times it was a lifesaver, keeping us from running into something. Fear is similar. It's a signal that we need to pay attention because we might be in danger. Our bodies are constantly paying attention to possible threats, and every time it finds something, it beeps at us. It does this whether or not we ask it to or not. Some people have the goal to get rid of all our annoying and difficult feelings, but they are here to help us. Think of the emotion of fear like a bodyguard. A really good bodyguard pays attention to danger so we don't have to. A really good bodyguard reacts faster than our ability to recognize what's happening, They jump out and block you from harm's way, and it can take a while to register what has happened. Our bodies, like a well-trained bodyguard, are really good at prioritizing potential threats and will react on our behalf, often before we're even aware of what's happening. This is why we can experience fear and anxiety long before we can figure out why we are feeling it. Having the emotion of fear as a bodyguard keeps us from danger. That's its sole purpose. And so, fear can kind of be a party pooper. Sometimes we wish we could just send the bodyguard home so we can enjoy life without fear. There is a great scene in the 90s hit movie, Bodyguard. Whitney Houston's character is a famous singer and she has a bodyguard played by Kevin Costner. In one scene, she's shopping for clothes and asks her bodyguard to hand her a dress to try on. Kevin Costner's character replies, I'm here to keep you alive, not to help you shop. Our fear signal doesn't care about us having a good time. It doesn't care what our goals are. Fear has one goal, to keep us alive. Another frustrating thing about fear is that our bodies can have a difficult time distinguishing the difference between a real or an imagined threat. Our bodyguard can react to protect us whether or not the threat is real or imagined. So our body might pump the same amount of adrenaline for a real intruder as an imagined intruder. And when we experience fear in our body, we may want to dismiss it. But instead, we need to pay attention to it and explore it. Here are four helpful steps to navigate with fear. Step number one, notice feeling afraid or anxious and how it's showing up in your body. Practice becoming more aware of how your body feels every day you'll start to notice patterns and changes when you become more aware of your body sensation baseline. We are pretty familiar with what intense fear feels like in our body. However, we can be less aware of the lower intensity symptoms of fear. Here's some clues to help you know when your fear signal is active. Tense muscles, inability to relax, fast thoughts, unwanted thoughts, repeating thoughts, rapid speech, shallow breathing, increased heart rate, quick startle response, and dissociation. This is the sensation that your mind is disconnected from your body. It's an out-of-body experience. So let's move on to step two, seek safety. Ask yourself what you need to feel safe. Is there a person, place, or thing that helps your body to calm down? Feeling safe helps our body to get out of the fight flight, and freeze reactions. Also, once we are calm, our problem-solving skills are much better. Instead of being in the survival part of our brain, we can have better access to the problem-solving part of our brain when we feel calm. Activities like walking, yoga, or taking a hot bath can help our body to calm itself. Now, step three, take time to be quiet and reflect. Ask God and ask people you trust for wisdom. When you're in a quiet place, you'll have a better ability to listen and process information. As you reflect on your fear, here are three helpful questions. The first question to ask yourself is, is my fear signaling something from my past, present, or future circumstances? It can also just be a combination of them all. Many times, our fear is a response to a present situation like when we hear a loud noise unexpectedly or when a car swerves into our lane. Other times, our fear is about an imagined future. We are highly imaginative creatures, and we can predict what dangers might exist. Maybe you feel afraid of how someone is going to react to something you need to tell them, or maybe you have a job interview coming up. Other times, our fear signal goes off because of past circumstances, and our body is being reminded of that painful event. When our body holds on to the memory of pain and uses that memory to protect us, we call it a trauma reaction. Trauma reactions can come from big events like death, natural disasters, or abuse, but it can also come from the accumulation of a lot of smaller painful experiences, like feeling dismissed, rejected, or alone. Exploring where a fear is coming from can be complicated, especially when trauma is involved, and sometimes you may need to ask for help. A few years ago, I worked with a woman who we'll call Kelly to help her process the impact of sexual abuse she experienced in childhood. One issue that kept coming up for her was her difficulty keeping her house clean. She really wanted order and cleanliness, but she never in her adult life had been able to follow through. Using a special trauma processing protocol tool, we explored what kind of emotions came up for Kelly whenever she tried to clean. Suddenly, it became clear to Kelly that the emotion she associated with cleaning was fear. It didn't make any sense on the surface. She wanted to have a clean house. Why did she feel so anxious every time she tried to make that happen? We took time to help her process and reflect on this fear. And after a few minutes, a memory popped into Kelly's head. In her memory, she was hiding under her bed in her childhood home. Then she remembered more fully that when she felt afraid of her brother, who abused her, she would crawl under her bed, hidden by dirty clothes and miscellaneous stuff. She felt safe there, and she came to associate that mess with feeling safe. At a subconscious level, adult Kelly still felt safest surrounded by clutter. Her conscious mind wanted order, but her protective instincts wanted piles of dirty laundry to hide behind. To move beyond her messiness, Kelly did not need a self-help book motivating her to take ownership of her dreams. She didn't need a chore chart, She didn't need the magic of tidying up. Her trauma left an imprint on her brain, and she needed to identify the problem and process those old feelings so she could develop a new perspective. This process freed Kelly to clean without fear, and she told me years later that she was still enjoying a clean house. Cleaning is just a small way that Kelly's past trauma influenced her life years down the line, and it's a good example of how trauma can have far-reaching effects, even in the areas that seem irrelevant. It also shows the challenges in trying to figure out why we feel afraid. For some of us, this pandemic has triggered our fear signal. Our fear might be triggering past experiences. Like Kelly, we may need help in identifying our threats that haven't been fully processed. Seek therapy if you think that past trauma is still creating problems in your present life. I recommend therapists who are trained in EMDR, which is called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or lifespan integration or somatic experiencing. These therapies help people to heal from trauma. The second question to ask yourself during this reflection is are my thoughts increasing fear? Thoughts are powerful. They can help us navigate a situation or they can increase our emotional suffering. Our thoughts influence our emotions and our emotions influence our thoughts. And so one way to get out of a fear cycle is to change some of our thoughts. One painful thought that many of us are dealing with right now is the thought, I don't know what the future will hold. This thought also might sound like, I don't know when I'll get a job. Or it could be, I don't know what the economy will be like and if we have enough money. Or maybe it sounds like, I don't know if me or my loved ones will get COVID-19. It's an endless list of unknowns right now. God has given us a wonderful imagination, and when our imagination is being used as God intended, we can imagine what the Garden of Eden was like before the fall of humankind. We can also use our imagination to picture loving and beautiful unseen spiritual beings, and that can strengthen our faith. But sometimes our imagination can get misdirected by dark and disturbing thoughts, or we can get pulled into the exhausting cyclone of worry. Worry is a hijacked imagination. We need to take captive those destructive thoughts and meditate on what is true, beautiful, and lovely. Collect books, music, poetry, or movies that can help direct your thoughts towards a productive imagination. Use these resources when you find yourself being pulled into a downward thought spiral. This is the third question to ask yourself. Is my body chemistry off? Things like exercise, hormones, your diet, caffeine alcohol, drugs, and genetics, they all can affect our body chemistry. It's important to explore if there are things that you can do to improve your body chemistry. Are you exercising daily? Are you drinking or using recreational drugs? Does anxiety run in your family? Some of us have been dealing with chronic anxiety for months or even years. Here's some helpful information. It's important to find a treatment that creates new neuropathways instead of just treating the symptoms. Anxiety meds like Xanax or alcohol or marijuana can become addictive because it quickly decreases our symptoms, but it doesn't create effective long-term change. High anxiety left unregulated and untreated can lead to autoimmune diseases, heart issues, and other health problems. Chronic anxiety is like having your car engine on, but with a gas pedal down and your car gear in park. Another aspect to consider is that your anxiety doesn't just affect you. Your family members, your spouse, your kids, they'll also feel that anxiety and it can influence their emotional dysregulation as well. Your health and relationships are important to consider as you figure out a strategy. If we weren't dealing with the challenges of social distancing, neurofeedback can be a really helpful option. Neurofeedback trains our brain to form new neuropathways with using special technology. It isn't covered by insurance, so it can be more of a financial investment, and it usually involves a minimum of 20 treatments. Another treatment option is meeting with your doctor or psychiatrist to talk about medications like an SSRI, which can slowly help direct your brain to form new neuropathways. This is usually covered by insurance and is less of a financial investment than neurofeedback. So let's recap the steps to deal with fear. Number one, first notice how your body feels when you feel fear. Number two, find a safe place. And number three, explore our fear. And the last step is to create a plan. So what do I do with this fear? Fear is a fundamental human emotion that our species have been grappling with for ages. The mythic symbol of a dragon is one way humans have tried to make sense of fear and how to deal with it. It's hard to imagine a creature more fear-inducing than a dragon. It's a large reptilian beast, armored with scales, with the jaw of a shark, and the wings of a hawk. On top of all this, it can breathe fire, engulfing everything around you into a burnt crisp. This creature has haunted our collective imaginations for centuries. Dragons live out in the unknown, in the wilderness, or in the darkness of cold caves. This is where our fears are most prevalent as well. When we venture outside of what we understand and control, we will often find our greatest fears. In folklore and fairy tales, the most surprising thing about dragons is that they can be defeated. The best strategy is to attack them when they are dormant. They will often fall asleep next to the valuable things that they have stolen. Dragons love to hoard treasures and keep prisoners or captives. Fear, Like a dragon can seem intimidating and overwhelming, but we can overcome it. Our best strategy is to prepare for when it is dormant. And when fear wakes, we will have our armor of protection and the weapons to get the treasure and free the captives. Dragons are still alive. They live inside of us. They lay dormant in us, quietly hoarding the treasures of life's opportunities. Sometimes they are awake in us, violently swooping around in our soul. They're unavoidable, and we will have to face them our entire lives. And so our plan is really, what do I do with this dragon? Some dragons are just dangerous, and we need to keep our distance. The best plan might be just to stay away from the danger. But some dragons are worth battling for the treasure and bringing freedom to the captives. It takes wisdom to know the difference between which dragons to fight and which dragons to flee. God has given us fear as a warning signal, but not as a master decision maker in our life. In scripture, we can see a destructive pattern that humans repeat over and over again. This destructive pattern is that humans would rather remain in pain, abuse, and even slavery because it feels familiar, rather than confront the fear of uncertainty and face the unknown. In Exodus, the Israelites are suffering and killed because they're slaves, God provides liberation through Moses and they experience miracle after miracle until they're released from slavery. Moses goes up to the mountain to speak with God and the Israelites say that he's taking too long. And they also say, we don't know what happened to him. So instead of facing the fear of uncertainty and the unknown, they create a God out of their own gold. This golden God had no power, but it made them feel less afraid. They preferred something that they could see, touch, and control. The powerful God that performed miracles and saved them from slavery is a God of mystery that cannot be controlled. Over time, the Israelites demanded to go back to being slaves in Egypt. They wanted to return to Pharaoh's abuse rather than face the unknown journey in the wilderness. Marriage therapist Virginia Satir says, Most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. Here are some examples of what it can look like for humans today to choose the certainty of misery instead of the misery of uncertainty. It can look like staying in an abusive relationship rather than leaving for safety. It can look like repeating the same unhealthy parenting behaviors with our kids instead of seeking to get help and accountability. It can look like building resentment toward our spouse instead of addressing problems. It can look like abusing drugs or alcohol as a way to deal with stress instead of getting help and finding new ways that don't cause self-harm. It can also look like undereating, overeating, or obsessively monitoring our weight instead of meeting with a therapist or a support group to free us from this bondage. It takes great courage to face the fears of the unknown and to make new changes in our life. There is so much that we can fear in life, but there is a force more powerful than all the fear in the world. It's love. Love is more powerful than fear. John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. When we meditate on God's tender love for us, it quiets and casts out the fear inside. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the first family that we will find true love and belonging. And this family has great compassion for us when we feel afraid. God cares about our fear and suffering. The Hebrew word for compassion is rakamim, which refers to a mother's womb. God's compassion towards us is so personal and deep that it's described as a mother's womb. In the Trinity of God, your pain will always be acknowledged and you will never suffer alone. Love is also the greatest motivator to face and move beyond our fears. When children are in danger, a parent's love can empower them with physical and emotional strength that they didn't even know that they had. We hear love stories about couples who face incredible obstacles and painful circumstances to just be with each other. And love for creation can quiet the clamoring noise from our fears. We need the power of love to energize us to fight against racial inequality and advocate for those who are being oppressed. If we focus on who we love and what we love, it can help quiet and give perspective to the fears that fight for our attention. When fear starts to become loud, remind yourself of who and what you love. This will give you the clarity and energy to fight for love. Thankfully, love is a resource that has no end. In summary, our bodies are complex and emotions give us important information to figure out what our bodies might need. Emotions are like the signals on the dashboard of our car, giving us information so we can make informed decisions. Often our emotional dashboard makes us aware of all the problems we need to address. It can be easy to get overwhelmed by all the problems. It's important to balance our focus on the problems as well as focusing our attention on what is lovely beautiful, and true. Here's my closing prayer for you. May the God of love bless you and keep you. May God's face of compassion shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God's tender gaze of love toward you give you peace. Amen. I'd like to leave you with a song about emotions written by Allie Rogers called The Way You're Made.
1: Push it down. But yours is on your face.
0: the way you're made by Allie Rogers. Thank you, Allie, for sharing that with us. If you'd like to learn more about Allie, she has a website, AllieRogers.com, A-L-L-I-R-O-G-E-R-S.com. If you have any questions and want to reach me, my website is TristanCollins.com, T-R-I-S-T-E-N-C-O-L-L-I-N-S. I -I I also co-authored a book called Why Emotions Matter, And you can learn more at whyemotionsmatter.com. Thank you for your time.